Before he died, your father asked me to give you this poem by Tecumseh. I told him I'd fold it into a paper airplane. And in a way, I guess that's what I'm doing. Selling it from him to you. Live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about his religion. Respect others and their views and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and of service to your people. When your time comes to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with fear of death, so that when their time comes they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. American girls and American guys We'll always stand up and salute We'll always recognize when we see old glory flying There's a lot of men dead So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads My daddy served in the army We lost his right eye But he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free Now this nation that I love is falling under attack A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye up your world like the 4th of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And a statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And an eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here. When you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell, and it'll feel like the whole wide world is raining down. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I used a little uh, military stuff there because this is going to be my 9-11 show since uh, 9-11 was Monday, and I thought all last weekend would be uh, would be in, you'd be inundated with 9-11 stuff on TV. Apparently I was wrong. There was there was some, but not enough. It seems that 9/11 is starting to fade, uh, like uh, Pearl Harbor and uh, the way it was treated. Uh, but I think that's sad, and I know that I'll never forget. And the second half of this show is going to be my 9/11 tribute um, that I've been playing for about 15 years. So um, if you haven't heard it, don't miss part two of the main event. And uh, if you have heard it. Enjoy it again and see if you can keep the tears, uh, the tears uh, from flowing through your eyes. Um, and I and I thought that that clip from Act of Valor that I opened the show up with is uh, you know hey uh, and meet your meet your death and uh, sing your death song and and uh, live your life live your life as if so you know live your life so don't worry about don't be afraid of dying and sing your death song coming home and I think it tells a story and if you know if you've seen that movie it's uh, a movie with uh, actual navy seals acting in it and um and talking about our 
our military and our Navy SEALs that that go into harm's way to protect our country and to protect each other and uh, with no regrets. And I think that's that's uh, common with our first responders, for, especially from 9-11, as guys ran up into the buildings and ended up, you know, to save people they don't know and uh, and and sacrificing their own lives. And it's a, a tribute to them. That song uh, was Toby Keith, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. For obvious reasons, and uh, I think it fits 9-11. Every year, every year, although I don't use it every year, but I think it's the, the perfect 9-11 song. So, uh, but let's talk about, so before before I go on to what actually happened this year, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get real estate or financing uh, advice or you want to get some uh just get a you know a checkup on where you are, what your debt looks like, and what what you think uh, you should do. And you want to talk talk to me, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet. Go to edhoffman.net. We'll do the cyber thing. Uh, go to the United American Mortgage logo and fill in all the information you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates. Will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle and uh, dial you in whether you're looking to uh, refinance a piece of property you own, uh, purchase a piece of property you'd like to own, or learn more about one of those reverse mortgage things that everybody's talking about uh, if you're over 62 and you want to bridge the gap between how much money you have and how many years you have left. Uh, edhoffman.net, click on United American Mortgage logo. If you uh, want to hear this show repeated or uh, or missed part of it, you can always get the podcast. Uh, stay on Ed Hoff, edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page. You can uh, hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the uh, uh, the uh, podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Apple Podcasts, and you can actually subscribe for free, have it automatically download once a week to your device, your computer, your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, your mini pad, your maxi pad, anything you can listen to podcasts on and uh, listen to it when it's convenient for you. If you have comments on the show, give me an email, send me an email to edit at Hoffman.net. So let's talk about uh, how the Biden administration uh, botched the 22nd anniversary of 9 11. And they did it big time, and not just because the president went to Alaska instead of Manhattan, just because the the president is who he is. Uh, but from but from there, Joe delivered one of his routine speeches that exaggerated his own connection to a national tragedy. Um, is anyone surprised, or didn't think uh, that this 9/11 was uh, that this was doing it for 9/11 was beneath him? Um, well, it wasn't beneath him. Here we go. We never forget each of us, each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York, and I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. I'm just returning from the G Summit, the G20 Summit in India. These trips are a central part of how we're going to ensure the United States is flanked by the broadest array of allies and partners who will stand with us and deter any threat to our security. To build a world that is safer for all of our children. 
Yeah, I don't know what the G20 summit has to do with uh, protecting us. Uh, we're the ones who protect everybody else. And quite quite frankly, his appearance at the G20 probably makes our allies feel a little concerned. But what's the, what's the, uh, what's the lie? What's the exaggeration in this thing? Was he really there the next day at 9-11? I see. Don and I went to Ground Zero October 10th, 2002, a month after the one-year anniversary. It's 21 years later, and I still remember the date. I still remember every detail about that experience. Uh, but was he there? Of course not. Once again, even CNN, and it's calling it out, uh, his dishonest behavior with fact checks. So according to CNN, it's a, oh, this is from CNN. In a speech to servicemen, members, and first responders on the anniversary of the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, President Joe Biden falsely claimed that he was at Ground Zero the next day after the Twin Towers fell in Manhattan. The article quotes the clip we just heard and then says, Facts first. Biden was not at Ground Zero the day after 9-11. He actually went to Ground Zero nine days after the attacks. Hmm. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Well, you know, 22 years, two years later... Uh, he can't remember even uh, even when he wrote about it in his own book. Here's part of here's part of Fox's report on the lie from Jackie Heinrich. Turns out Biden got part of his story from a very familiar source. A microscope on the president's false claim he visited Ground Zero the day after 9/11. And I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. Pretty similar to this account from Hillary Clinton, who was there the day after. And I cannot imagine anything that looked more like the gates of hell. White House officials defending Biden, whose visit came about a week later, writing in his memoir he was at the Capitol on the 12th. Biden has no ability for original thought, not even his younger, more conscious speechwriters do. They just plagiarize Hillary. So uh, back to CNN. Asked Monday night about the claim, the White House provided a photo and article showing that Biden, then a senator for Delaware, toured Ground Zero on September 20th, 2001. A White House official then emailed this comment on condition of anonymity. The president first visited World Trade Center nine days after September 11th terrorist attack as part of a bipartisan delegation for the Senate. So, uh, hey, they don't even want to comment on it. They're just given the fact they're not they're not commenting on the fact that he doesn't know the difference between one day and uh, and uh, nine days. Factcheck.org went even further by quoting Biden's own words from his 2008 memoir, Promises to Keep. His book is called Promises to Keep. To who, Hunter? They quote, By the time I got off the train at Union Station in Washington, the third plane had hit the Pentagon, and I could see a brown haze of smoke hanging in the otherwise crystal clear sky beyond the Capitol Dome, Biden wrote. Biden wrote that he headed back to the Capitol on September 12th. The congressional record notes that Biden was in the Senate that day, and C-SPAN footage documents that he spoke briefly from the floor. In the book, there is no mention of him immediately visiting Ground Zero. Biden just makes stuff up as he goes. You know, it's uh, he thinks people are stupid enough. He th- figures, hey, people are stupid enough to have voted for me. Yeah, they'll believe anything. Uh, John Kirby, who isn't even the Pentagon spokesman anymore, but he loves the job so much he just continues to do it anyway. I hired these guys for three days a week, and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. So Kirby uh, defended uh, Biden's lies in an interview with Fox's Martha McCallum on Tuesday. 
He just attributed uh, the visit a little earlier uh, in the remarks than what had actually occurred, but he was there. The president used those same words. Is it just a, a coincidence? Because it looked like the gates of hell. Yeah, because uh, Biden should know that what the gates of hell look like, and there's just nothing else like it. You know, he because he probably came from there, uh, or uh, certainly uh, somebody who came from there is inside him. And, uh, you know, but I would think, hey, you know what, uh, the gates of hell are the only thing that could come to mind. How about, how about it looks like a scene from uh, Terminator 2? How about it looks like a combat zone? How about it looks like uh, whatever? It's just, just coincidence. Just coincidence that Hillary used the exact same words on the exact same day that, uh, that he said he was there when he really wasn't. Hmm. Must be a coincidence. Yeah, so... So that's the first way Biden administration managed to botch 9-11 this year. The next one is a little bit more serious, nothing major, just giving Iran $6 billion in prisoner swap on 9-11. <clears throat> seems, uh, seems like a peculiar date to uh, announce such a, such a deal with Iran. In exchange for the release of five American citizens detained in Iran, the Biden administration agreed to return five Iranians being detained here in the United States. They also issued a waiver for international banks to transfer $6 billion in frozen Iranian money. Luckily, it it wasn't taxpayer money. It was Iranian money that we froze uh, years ago. The waiver is now how how they do it without violating their own sanctions. So now we know. If the U.S. wants to unfreeze the assets of a terrorist state without lifting sanctions, they just call it a waiver. That's the policy of this administration. This is how uh, how they get around actually uh, uh, actual administrations that actually govern and actually have brains that do smart things. So they just call it a waiver. Um, in a letter to Congress on Monday, again, that's September 11th, Sept- uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken wrote, the release of the funds will pave the way for Iran to potentially free five Americans. So for $6 billion, we don't even know if it's a sure thing. We're just going to release their money, and it's not even a sure thing. These guys are great negotiators. The Americans who may potentially be coming home uh, are all U.S. citizens of Iranian descent who were given 10-year sentence and charged with, what else, spying on Iran. They are uh, 66-year-old Murad Tabaz, an environmental cons- conservationist, arrested when his wildlife organization visited the country in 2018. Uh, he even he had seven colleagues who were accused of using their using their work as cover for espionage. I guess uh, I guess they saw the movie Argo, and uh, so now they know how we got the how we got the uh, the hostages out of Iran in 1979. And uh, they know they don't trust us for anything anymore. And maybe America could learn a few things from them. I don't know. So some of these colleagues have been released in, in agreements made by their countries of origin. But one colleague from Canada died in custody with no no explanation given from Iran. Tabaz was charged with corruption on Earth, which carries the death penalty. His charge was later changed to cooperating with the hostile state of the United States. Uh, see in other countries, people see things a little differently than they than they do here. Next was 58-year-old Ahmad Sargi, who found success in the U.S. as a venture capitalist. He and his wife were on a visit back to their country of origin in 2018 when they were arrested, accused of spying, and jailed. 
His wife was eventually released, but Ahmad was not. He made bail a year later, but then they arrested him again as he tried to flee the country. <laughs> These guys are great negotiators. Hey, uh, give us all your money. You guys are you're a venture capitalist, so you got lots of money. Give it to us. And we'll give you bail. And then as soon as they gave him bail, apparently bail didn't mean he was released. He was just out on bail. And he tried to leave the country, so they arrested him again. These guys are smart negotiators. Next is a 51-year-old Siamek Namazi, an energy executive charged with spying in 2015. The following year, Namazi's father and brother were allowed to visit him in prison. And when they did, Iran arrested them too. Amazing. You know, don't people think about this? I think uh, I got out of. I came to America to get away from Iran. Maybe I should just stay gone. Use some of the family photos or internet stuff to get pictures of, of what my homeland is like. Uh, the father was released. The father was released last year, so he could undergo heart surgery in the U.S. But Siamek and his brother Babek were not. Babek Namazi is reportedly not part of this prisoner swap. But we only have three names, so it's possible Babek is one of the other two uh, who will be released. It's possible, or it's also possible, that we'll only get three prisoners back when Iran gets five. And, of course, it's also possible that we give them the $6 billion and we get nobody. Because this is such a great deal and the Biden administration is negotiating. Back to Blinken's letter to Congress. To facilitate the American hostages release, the United States has, co has committed to release five Iranian national detainees in the U.S. And of course, and of course, these detainees are, are dangerous guys. And to permit the transfer of approximately $6 billion of Iranian funds held in restricted accounts, the funds will be available only for humanitarian trade, which means medicine and food. Oh yeah, and about that. Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi told NBC News the Iranian government can use the money for however the hell they want. Do you believe you have the right to use that money in any way that you see fit? This money belongs to the Islamic Republic of Iran, and naturally, we will decide, the Islamic Republic of Iran will decide to, to spend it wherever uh, we need it. Well, apparently that means uh, medicine and food. Oh, and nuclear weapons. So uh, once again, John Kirby made a pitiful attempt to the Biden administration's rescue. Martha, we're getting five Americans home, and I think that's the important thing that everybody needs to remember. It's not just $6 billion that the uh, Iranians are just going to be able to write checks to whenever they want. They can only use this money for humanitarian purposes, and we will have the ability to stop transactions if we don't think they're going in the right direction. Well, the president so of Iran doesn't think that. You just heard him. He said, we'll use that money however we want. Yeah, he's wrong. Yeah, he's wrong. So let me think. If they were transferring money to me and tried to tell me how I could transfer it, I would uh, transfer it from that bank to a bank that America doesn't control, and then uh, I'd use it however the hell I want, which is exactly what they're going to do. Meanwhile, Congress has, has until September 30th to pass another continuing resolution and avoid a government shutdown. So let's recap why this is happening. In June, they passed the so-called Fiscal Responsibility Act to lift the debt ceiling for the, next, for the next fiscal year, which begins on October 1st, which if you remember was called uh, Limit Save Grow Act, and it cut $142 billion worth of spending out of, uh, out of next year's budget. 
This was done with the exception that Congress would pass 12 appropriations bills that fund the majority of the federal government agencies, which, by the way, has only happened uh, by September 30th deadline four times in the last 40 years. The Senate has passed all four bills now, but the House has not. When this happens, it goes to a conference committee where two chambers are supposed to uh, forge a compromise. This agreement then goes to vote in each chamber before it goes to the president, and now they have less than two weeks to do that. If they can't pass those bills, they would need a continuing resolution to keep funding the government. The main holdouts of the House are the Freedom Caucus members who are unhappy with McCarthy for striking that great deal with the White House back in June. Some Republicans are also holding out to remove abortion pill by mail funding and surgery for transgender youth funding out of the HHS bill. I would think they'd want those out. And some are pushing for the removal of provisions that they believe would harm the tobacco industry. Uh, because, you know, Southern Republicans are uh, concerned with the tobacco industry. Freedom Caucus members are saying they won't back down on demanding spending cuts before they vote for the bills. But McCarthy delivered something that might persuade them an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. These are allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. And they warrant further investigation by the House of Representatives. That's why today... I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. That's exactly what we want to know, the answers. I believe the President would want to answer these questions and allegations as well. Now, I do not make this decision lightly. And regardless of your party or who you voted for, these facts should concern all Americans. The American people deserve to know that the public offices are not for sale and that the federal government is not being used to cover up the actions of a politically associated family. Now, I would encourage the president and his team to fully cooperate with this investigation in the interests of transparency. We are committed to getting the answers for the American public. Nothing more, nothing less. We will go wherever the evidence takes us. The president won't cooperate because they can't answer anything to the smoking guns that we've already seen with the hearings uh, from the uh, whistleblowers from the IRS and the FBI and, of course, uh, Hunter Biden's uh, uh, business partner, Devin Archer. Here's the White House response from Biden senior advisor Ian Sams and professional binder reader Karine Jean-Pierre. There is no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden because President Biden didn't do anything wrong. And the purpose of what they're doing is a politically motivated, far-right, extreme series of attacks on the president and his family that are not rooted in the truth. Because the president didn't do anything wrong. Even, even, House, even House Republicans have said, have said, the evidence does not exist. Yeah, right. Deny, deny, deny. This is the Democrat playbook. Why do they do this? Because they know that half of the country hasn't seen it. And here are some uh, classy responses, not, from Democrats Chuck Schumer, Debbie Blabbermouth Schultz, and uh, John Brainless Fetterman. The American people want us to do something that will make their lives better, not go off on these chases and uh, witch hunts. There's been no evidence, and so they're using this word inquiry. Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry. Has said he's going to. Oh my God! Really? 
Oh my gosh, you know, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it. Please don't do it. Oh no, oh no. That's how Pennsylvania Senator uh, sounds when he doesn't have a teleprompter in front of him. Probably pretty much what Biden sounds like when he doesn't have a teleprompter in front of him. Hey, so uh, as we leave the first half of the main event, stay tuned for my 9-11 tribute. It's uh, it's a, a tribute all to 9-11. I recorded it in 2008 and put together put it together. Uh, I've got great responses from it, and every and everyone who uh, listens seems to say they listen to it every year. Enjoy it. Stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and then we'll be right back with the 9-11 tribute. I think we're going to have to remember it, September 11, in its reality, much the same way as we have to remember other horrific events in our history, because somehow I think it pushes the human consciousness toward finding ways to avoid this in the future. But if you, um, if, you, if you censor it too much, if you try to find too many euphemisms for what happened, then I think you rob people of the ability to actually relive it and therefore motivate them to prevent it from happening in the future. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the September 11th edition of the main event. This week, in honor of September 11th, I put together a tribute to September 11th, consisting of some clips from uh, documentaries, interviews, uh, speeches, as well as uh, some movie clips and some music, too, to commemorate the day that changed our country, changed our world, and for many of us, changed our lives. Uh, I lost a I lost a high school friend on Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon that day, and uh, my wife and I have visited Ground Zero Ground Zero several times since 2001. So you can bet that we will never forget the impact that the attacks of that day had on our lives and our world. And I hope that you won't either. Uh, this project took a lot of time and effort to put together, so I hope you enjoy listening to it and find it moving and inspirational as I did in the process of creating it. Um, email me your comments at ed at edhoffman.net. Ed at edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. I'm interested in, in what you think. Enjoy. On a perfect, almost achingly beautiful late summer morning in early September 2001, a day of seemingly infinite visibility, one man later said, characterized by the rare and exquisite flying conditions airline pilots call severe clear. Life in New York and much of the rest of the contemporary world was changed irrevocably in the space of less than two hours. September 11, 2001 was the worst day in the history of the city. Everyone in the city should remain calm. The very best thing to do right now would be to remain home. I could see from the very beginning with the number of casualties and the tremendous damage that was done. And even the thought that we'd probably be attacked again during that period of time that this was it's going to be really, really difficult. I'd ask the people of New York City to do everything that they can to cooperate, not to be frightened, to go about their lives as normal. Everything is safe right now in the city. And the people who are doing the relief effort need all the help they can get. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region 
and tens of millions more across the country and around the world. We're staring intently at the smoldering skyline of Lower Manhattan, when a dark shape appeared on the horizon above the New Jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay. And then all of a sudden, I saw a big explosion of fire. And at that point, we all concluded, obviously, it was, it was, a, ter it was a terrorist attack. I think that was the first point at which I realized that we were into something different than any, any of us had ever prepared for, or any of us had ever thought we would live through. I realized I was in some kind of a horrible, awful, horrific human experience. I hear people say, we don't need this war. But I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them backing down they say we don't realize the mess we're getting in before you start your preaching let me ask you this my friend have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away Those towers fell We had neighbors still inside Going through a living hell And you say we shouldn't worry about Bin Laden Have you forgotten? The resolve of our great nation is being tested But make no mistake We will show the world that we will pass this test God bless I don't know if you guys know it yet, but this country's at war. Listen, I'm not, I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over. And I don't want a board full of these planes hitting every building on the East Coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. Just do it. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no I, don't, I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. They're going to have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone? Everyone. Shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the international from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Canada? Yeah, Canada too. Can shut down the airspace? No, I can't accept no. Nobody takes off. Land them all. Take a moment. Think about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're shutting down. That's it. We're finished. This was an attack intended to destroy us, because we are a country that's built on principles of freedom and because of free will people get a chance to distinguish themselves this wonderful american civilization emerges which isn't based on any ethnic group it isn't based on any one race it isn't based on any one religion it's based on people believing in freedom we heard things hitting the sidewalk and i thought it was debris and i think we all thought it was debris and the windows on the west side of the building had already been blown out so as i walked towards those windows I realized it wasn't the breed. These were people, people who were so desperate that they had jumped from whatever stories and they were landing. And it was a, a constant, the shrill of the pop as they hit the ground. And think about people so desperate that they would, they would choose that, that way to die. And they had to know they were gonna die. There's no way of, of surviving it. And that, that image will never leave. A mother described to me talking to her son on the telephone when the second plane hit. And that's the last time she talked to him. Another family described to me how their 
loved one had let two elevators go because he was older and the people in the elevator were younger. And somehow my, my, my mind went back to the stories and the things you read about the Titanic or you know, people who allowed other people to get on, get on boats and they didn't get on the boat because they were older. And from that moment on, I started thinking that we'll never know all the heroes. We know our uniform people were heroes. They went there and they died and they gave up their lives bravely trying to save the lives of other people. But what we don't know are all the individual stories of the person who gave up the elevator for another person, the person who calmed someone and got them out of the building, the person who organized their floor so that everybody could evacuate, the person who maybe at the last, in the last moments comforted people when all of them knew they were going to die. We've got over 300 firefighters that are missing that uh, we can't account for. We believe that many of, uh, many of them are, uh, are, uh, are gone. We don't, um, we'll keep looking. Uh, we have hundreds of people over there now trying to find as many possible locations that they might be in, in some way, in a void or whatever, and, um, you know, still be able to breathe and, and still alive. But we believe that uh, most of these people, I think, are, are gonna be uh, un unable to, to pull out. Pastor, I gotta go down there. Where? New York. You can't. Only emergency responders are being allowed in. I spent my best years with the Marines. God gave me a gift to be able to help people to defend our country. I feel him calling on me now for this mission. Then find a way to listen, Dave. And I started thinking about the people that might be trapped. Are there people trapped? If they are trapped, can they survive? And I remember thinking, this, I, this is like being in hell. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about, but probably thought wouldn't happen. My heart goes out to all of the innocent victims of this horrible and vicious act of terrorism, acts of terrorism. And our focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible. What's the status here? Search has been called off. This whole thing is crap, man. Our guys are in there. They're dying in there. Looks like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir? I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any, any of us can bear, ultimately. And I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible. United States Marines, if anyone can hear me, yell or tap. Some of the information was too brutal. I think I said that day that I don't think people could handle the full implications. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that best husband was Terry Haddon, who was, the, who was the captain of Rescue One. And I looked over and I said to her, Is, was Terry working today? And she said, yes. And his tears came down her eyes. She looked at me and she said, he's dead. 
And I got angry. I said, you don't know that, Beth. You don't know that. And she said, yeah, I know that. I felt it, and I know that. I was standing on the steps of City Hall. We all looked up, and I knew that Terry would have been one of, on one of the, the highest floor that he could get to in that building, because that's just what his company does. And when I saw the building come down, I knew that he had no chance. His friend Tim told me that he saw Terry going in, and Terry said to him, we may not be seeing each other again, and kissed him on the cheek and ran up the stairs. We lost all those firemen. We lost police. We had this fantastic contradiction of people who hated you so much that they were willing to give up their life to take yours and people who loved humanity so much that they were willing to run into the Don building in the smoke and flame and just to save the life of somebody they never met. And that ineffably beautiful. There's no better definition of love. There's no, there's no more inspirational, no more inspiring, no more near to saintly conduct that you can think of than what they demonstrated. We, everybody should in their own way say, say a prayer and ask God for help and for assistance and, uh, and also ask God to give us the strength to overcome this because I know we're, we're going to need strength to overcome it. And I want the people of New York to be an example to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that terrorism can't stop us. American democracy is much stronger than uh, vicious, cowardly terrorists and we're going to overcome it. If you can hear me yell or tap, we hear you. Keep yelling! <coughs> 813! BNPD down! Gotcha! Hang on, hang on, okay? Don't leave us with me here a long time! We're not leaving you, buddy. We're Marines. You are our mission. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. It took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger. That's what the experts say. If it was up to me, I'd show it every day. Some say this country is just out of looking for a fight. Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right. is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you!
knock these buildings down, we'll hear all of us soon. Chase Stadium served as a staging area for rescue supplies. And the New York Mets baseball team, overlooking its exalted status, banded together with other volunteers. We got a, we got a box of t-shirts here. People came in from Wall Street who had walked home and two days later, you know, I need to do something, I have to help, what can I do? I had that same feeling that, that so many uh, other Americans had, of just to, I needed to do something. The Yankees, too, pitched in. Following the team's first post-9-11 gathering, manager Joe Torrey led a group of players on a goodwill trip downtown. We went to the armory, which was the most emotional, and we didn't really know if we should be there. This is where families were all gathered to wait on word if their loved ones were alive. weren't alive, uh, evidence that they weren't alive, so they were doing DNA samplings. I, I remember one very poignant moment when Bernie Williams went up to this woman, and he was sort of fumbling, and he, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. He says, but you look like you need a hug. And he put his arms around her, and I, and I think sort of broke the ice to see that, you know, these people needed this. And I think at that point in time, I realized that there was a role for us. But I'll never forget where I was, and I'll never forget that day. And I remember taking a bus home at night at about 11.30 at Amsterdam on 116th Street. And how quiet the street was. There was an eerie silence, like nothing I'd seen in more than 30 years of working there. And then I remember when the bus came that there was a sign around the little box there that said, no fare today. And I remember sitting on the bus, and sitting opposite a young woman who was just crying. And I remember when I got off the bus at 83rd Street, she was still crying. I remember just putting my hand on her shoulder. And I said nothing, and she said nothing, and I got off. But I'll always remember that woman. We have to cry, and we have to mourn and we have to feel terrible and awful. And on the way over here, I cried in my van because I had to go to the morgue to identify some. But I, the tears have to make you stronger. Every time you cry, you have to remember that we're right and they're wrong. In the aftermath of September 11th, the mood of the country changed. Baseball games became communal gathering places for fans to express their emotions. And as much of the country turned a sympathetic eye to New York. The Red Sox ask you to join us in a tribute to the spirit of the people of New York. The city's baseball teams became the objects of affection. I could not under any circumstances ever imagine cheering for the Yankees. But I think America's sense of New York changed in September 11th and, and the days afterwards. The face of New York changed. It was 343 New York firefighters who walked into the fires of hell to save strangers. And it becomes very difficult to hate the Yankees. Another reason for the heightened security 
was the appearance of a guest from Washington. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the door, and President Bush walked into our room. Well, when you're president, all you have to do is say you're showing up, and they kind of ask you to throw out the first pitch, no matter what time of year it is. So I go underneath the Yankee Stadium, in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, and there's a hitting cage there. And he's wearing his bulletproof jacket, and he's getting his arm loose, and Derek Jeter comes up to him. So I just asked him if he was going to be throwing the first pitch from the mound or in front of the mound. The president said, I felt, think I'll throw from the base of the mound. Jeter said, I wouldn't do that if I were you, Mr. President. And I told him, uh, you better throw it from the mound, otherwise you're going to get booed. I said, this, this is Yankee Stadium. I said, OK, I'll throw from the mound. And he's walking out, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says, don't bounce it. They'll boo you. All of a sudden, the pressure mounted. The president of the United States. I'd never felt what I'd felt before when I walked out of that dugout. I felt the raw emotion of the Yankee fans. USA! 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 The crowd just erupts in a chant of USA. There is nothing like it that I've ever experienced at a ballgame. It, it was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. President Bush is standing out there like a brick wall. I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm going to stand all out here. I'm going to give you a thumbs up, and I'm going to throw a strike. I didn't vote for him, but at that point, my personal feelings about him as a politician is gone. I watched him, and he was my representative, and I had never felt that way before. Very nice throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff. At that moment, everybody there was there for baseball and to show the world that in spite of what can happen to us, we'll pull ourselves together, and what is our life and our way of life will continue. United, we stand. We stand together in the face of this threat. We will play baseball in the midst of the, the beginnings of this war. No matter what the threat may be to us, the United States of America will stand strong and will never be intimidated. Have you forgotten all the people killed? Yes, some went down like heroes in that Pennsylvania field. Have you forgotten about our Pentagon? everything into good. You're a sculptor and you have a stone and the stone has a scar in it. And well, so now you have to sculpt around that scar and you've got to use that scar to, to make it part of whatever it is you're going to produce that's beautiful. And um, work with what you have, play it as it lies. You know? So whatever the circumstance, you know, use it for good purpose. 9-11, how can you possibly use it for good purpose? You think about it. You think, as uh, we've suggested before, you think about, look, 
What this reminds you of is the importance of your own life and making the most of it, because you, you can lose it in a flash. And if that's all you learned from 9-11, if that's all you remembered, that, my God, you could extinguish life so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and it could happen to me, and therefore, I should think harder about the way I spend my life instead of just wasting it. Now, it's not going to teach you what to do with your life, but it will teach you to do with your life. Thanks for listening to the September 11th edition of the main event. Email me your comments at ed at edhoffman.net. That's E-D at E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N dot net. My name is Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back with my regular show for you next week. God bless Amen.